I'm Pastor Dustin. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church, and welcome to Church Online. If this is your first time watching us, we'd love to hear from you. Just leave a comment or a like, and let us know that you're watching. And also, if you need anything, you can always visit us at lifechurchutah.com, and we'd love to be able to pray with you about anything. If you'd like to participate in giving today, you can do so by texting the word LCGIVE to the number on the screen. Once again, thank you for watching Church Online here at Life Church Utah. God bless. All right. Hey, turn your Bibles, please, uh, to Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. Have you ever been in darkness? Have you ever been in that moment where, where that darkness seems oppressive? Where it seems that that darkness is pressing in and you can almost feel the weight of darkness? I've been there before. I think many of you have been there before when we experience uh, this, this sense of darkness. We value light and there is a sense within us that somehow darkness is more than the absence of light. Darkness represents so much more. It, it can be ignorance. We tell you know, somebody, I'm in the dark about something. That's what ignorance is, to not know, right? So I'm in, I'm in the dark about something, so there's an ignorance with it. There's a wrongness to this. There, there's a sense, and maybe you've pointed to somebody or you hear a situation on the news and you say, there's a darkness in somebody. Right? You've ever said that before? We can also have a, a dark mood. You ever been in a dark mood before? <laughs> there's dark comedy, which is kind of a weird <laughs> sort of combination there. There can be a dark cloud over someone. We feel that darkness and it creeps in unexpectedly in our lives and pretty soon what was bright around us, all of a sudden, we are enveloped in darkness. We're familiar with it because we've all experienced times like this where we step out of the light and we're in that darkness. Many years ago, and I know I've shared this uh, part of my story, but I want to share it again because I think it's important for us uh, because our stories make up who we are. And uh, part of my story took place on June 14, 1987. I was working at Godfather's Pizza, and I remember uh, getting a phone call. Emergency line broke in on, a, on that. That was a Sunday evening, and uh, emergency line broke in and said, hey, is Rich Wooten work there? And my manager came over and said, hey, Rich, you've got an emergency call. I'd never experienced that before, and it was my aunt on the other end of the line, my Aunt Janet. And she was calling me, and she said, Rich, you've got to get to where your dad is right now. He's saying he's going to take his life. And I remember as a, I mean, at that point, I would have been, uh, let's see, just turned 17 years of age. And as a 17-year-old, seeing the vulnerability and the brokenness of a father can be at times very difficult to take. And, and it felt as if darkness began creeping in and hop into my car and make my way to Second South here in Salt Lake and uh, pull up to an apartment and walk up and knock on the door and no answer. 
knock on the door again and no answer. And in those moments, what, what kind of thoughts are, are rolling through my mind? Has my father already taken his life? What am I going to do in that moment when I try to break into the door or whatever, call the cop? I mean, all those things running through my mind, and, and it feels as if that darkness is slowly creeping in. Knock on the door again and no answer, and then I, I check the door and, and it's opened, and so I, I walk in. And the only description I have is, uh, for, for many of you who are younger than uh, Oh boy, probably your 30s, uh, you might not get this because now there's cable and things like that. We didn't have cable back then the same way, no digital. And uh, there was snow on the TV. It was just that static that you see at you know, about midnight. Remember when, uh, when TVs, uh, everything would shut down about midnight, maybe 1 a.m., and then they would play uh, the national anthem? Anybody remember that? I don't know if I can see you because it's dark out here, right? But you remember that moment? And that was kind of what it was. It was, it was uh, snow on the screen and just that static and my dad's silhouette against that static sitting on his couch. Dad, are, are you okay? No answer, and, and you know, just that fear associated with it. And uh, Walk up, and now I can see as I walk around the side of the couch in the snow uh, from the TV screen, now I can see, see that. And he's got loaded on his lap is his pistol. And I sit down next to him. And just start talking to silence. That darkness that we feel when we know something is not right. We struggle with it. We're like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And in my mind, I know that's rolling around as a 17-year-old. This is not the way it's supposed to be. We look up to our fathers. We look up to our mothers. We look up to those in authority and hope that they will show us the right way. We hope that they will bring light to our lives, and here I am staring darkness in the face. Many of you in this room, many of you online, have stories where darkness seems to overwhelm. I remember reaching over and grabbing the gun out of his hand after quite a long time of silence, and then quickly unloading it and walking around the house, finding all the bullets I could find and taking the gun. And my dad's still really in silence. At that point, he was, um, he was drunk and, you know, and so trying to reason was impossible and working through that. It's just a dark, dark time in my life. And yet, in those moments of darkness, when the light comes in, it makes that light so much more bright. We feel that oppressive nature that makes it difficult to breathe, to exist. And for some, this weight has led to those internal conversations of value. Does anyone care about me? Does anyone know that I exist? It's led to the conclusions that are not healthy. As it did in my dad's life, I will have one more drink. Maybe that will make the darkness go away. I'll have one more look at the, at the computer screen of the pornography because that'll make that, that emptiness that's in me, that'll make that go away. One more text to that coworker who's not my spouse. And we feel that just creep in and we wonder where it comes from. The scrambling sets in, the panic at times, and maybe the thought of, 
will anyone know or will anyone know what I am doing in the dark? And we get overwhelmed. The great thing is, in the middle of this, and I think back to Genesis, when God said that the, the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the dark, then God said, let there be light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. There is something about light. After that long night to experience that first sense of dawn is equally overwhelming. You sense it, and it's all of a sudden there's a lightness that begins to happen. We've been through a long, dark period of our lives, and all of a sudden it's like something begins to change, and you sense that there's a change and a lightness coming to your reality, and you can breathe differently. You've been there before, right? got to turn up my screen. (laughs) The long night is over. A new day has begun. Imagine that first moment of creation. If you were there, we weren't created yet, right? That's why I know it's impossible. But imagine that first moment where there is nothing. There's darkness. And God says, let there be light. And all of a sudden, new creation happens. And light fills We've got to understand, wherever there is light, darkness is limited. Wherever there is light, darkness is limited. Never forget that your situation, the light will always dispel the darkness. The light will always dispel the darkness. There's this guy named John. He was a follower of Jesus. He was a fisherman, the salt of the earth kind of guy. He and his brother were part of a family business, the Sons of Zebedee Fishing Company. Right, They found this Instagram post uh, the other day, actually from that time. They have six followers. It's really cool. And um, <laughs> not really. Fake news is what that is. All right. You see, John and his brother James are central to the story of Jesus as it unfolds. John writes about the experiences of Jesus with what we call the book of John. This was the the story that he writes of his time with Jesus. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. And John's perspective is very different from uh, from the other three Gospels that were written, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Very different in the sense that it was written about 25 to 30 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke had composed their stories of Jesus wrapped up in those books. And so this is a lifetime of experience, a lifetime of preaching, a lifetime of remembering what Jesus had done. And these are the highlights in the book of John about Jesus. And so he writes with a very, very specific purpose. And this is why whenever somebody uh, chooses to follow after Jesus for the first time, or when somebody goes, I'm just a little bit, I'm wondering about my faith, I always tell people to read the book of John. Because the book of John was written so that you might have faith. John says that in, I think it's John chapter 21, he says, this is written so that you might have faith. And he does this through the telling of seven miracles. That's the structure of the book of John. Seven miracles are recorded. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at two of them in particular. This week, number six. Next week, number seven on that list. And these stories are told, uh, lead to the moment of confrontation to make a decision about who Jesus is. Because we all have to decide. Remember last week? Choose you this day who you will serve. 
And he starts out by giving thought to something we've already read. He starts out alluding to the story of Genesis. But his insight will help us with this foundation today. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, and it's the same phrase used in the book of Genesis. In the beginning was the word. And you hear the word, word in this case, think Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. You see, Jesus arrives on the scene, and while John doesn't deal with the birth story of Jesus like the other Gospels do, John is kind of pulling back the veil a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes. And behind the scenes, this theological reality of, this, uh, of the incarnation is that God is bringing light into a dark world. And John also alludes to the story that the story that will unfold is that darkness will battle the light, will attempt to overcome the light, but ultimately that darkness will fail. Can I give you a heads up? In two weeks, we're going to talk about that. It's going to be really cool. <laughs> but I'm getting ahead of myself, all right? So Jesus begins his ministry of light being among friends at a wedding. He turns water into wine, and there's a celebration revealing that God saves the best for last. God saves them. That's why it's wonderful to have mystery in relationship with your, uh, with your spouse. Save the best for last. It's really cool. All right. Then he heals a skeptical official son, a paralytic. He feeds the 5,000 walks on water. Those are the first five miracles that John points out in the book of John. And then we get to John chapter 9, verse 1 through 5. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We can't get away from light and darkness in all of these stories. We cannot get away from it. A man born blind, obviously known by the people, and Jesus and his disciples are somewhere nearby him at this point. The disciples ask a question that has plagued us for as long as we have been asking questions. Why did this happen to this guy? Why is he blind? Did he sin so that he's blind? Or was it his parents' sin being visited upon him? And I, I've wondered about this. I think we all have. Why do certain things happen to us? And there actually was a thought back in, in this time uh, where that idea, so remember, this man was born blind and the disciples are still asking, did he commit some sort of sin before he was born so that he now is struck with blindness? And it got me thinking, what kind of sin can you do in your mother's womb? Like you kick your mom, mom says stop doing it, you do it again, you're disobedient, er, blindness, <laughs> okay, that's, you know, that's, kind of the, that's kind of what's going on, it's, you know, I, I don't really know how that happens, but anyway, or blame his parents. Now there was certainly a Jewish understanding of the time that would allow for this potentiality. Scripture does talk about sins being visited upon generations, but Jesus in this point, he's very, very quick to dispel this. 
He says it's neither, neither of these scenarios that you put out are the reason why this guy is blind. This guy is blind because God wants to do something in his life at this point. There's a purpose in this affliction. It's to bring glory to God. Now, we have to be really careful with this point. Because sometimes it's really easy to say, God is doing this to me, therefore I have to accept this, and maybe there's an abusive situation. If there's something going wrong where there is sin being uh, foisted upon you, and you say, well, God is doing this, and that's where we have to, uh, there's a line that is drawn there where that is not the case. But in this particular case, this is happening, and Jesus reveals it to be that God is at work in a way that we don't understand. God is at work behind the scenes, no longer now and behind the scenes, but now in front. He alludes again to this idea of creation, light and dark, day and night. He says plainly, I am the light of the world. And perhaps this blind man hears Jesus talking, overhearing this, uh, the disciples talking. He might be thinking to himself, but I'm in darkness here, buddy. <laughs> you might be the light of the world, but I am in darkness. He has no concept of light, no concept of color, no understanding of seeing motion, experiencing sight. There is darkness. And I think about so many people around me when I have spiritual conversations. When I'm at Starbucks, Sometimes talking to, that happens from time to time, I go to Starbucks, and uh, talking to people, and I remember distinctly out in, the, in Illinois, one conversation I was having with somebody that uh, just needed some, some time, and, and we were just talking about spiritual things, and how many of you like eavesdroppers? I'm usually not a big fan of eavesdroppers, makes me think of Lord of the Rings, I wasn't dropping no eaves, but anyway... Um, <laughs> So, so and, and we were talking, and somebody who was sitting next to us who was obviously eavesdropping breaks in and says, okay, I don't get what you just said. <laughs> now, in that I don't mind eavesdropping when I'm talking about Jesus, though. And I better have an answer, better be okay with it, and I can't say, no, sorry, this is not your conversation. <laughs> you want to know about, more about Jesus? You were eavesdropping, wait your turn. No, that's not going to happen. So you never know who's listening in on your conversations. That's why God says, be very careful what you speak. <laughs> that the words that we speak should be for the lifting up and for the building. And Jesus says something really strange in this moment, to us at least, in John chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Remember, he notices this guy who is born blind. It says, after, after he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Anybody weirded out by that? <clears throat> I am a little bit weirded out by that. He told him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. Praise God for that, right? I mean, that is a miracle. This kind of action was not without precedent in Jesus' day, by the way. There were others who did this, and it was kind of a... Um, kind of a, a, a strange thing that to us seems really, really foreign, but to that time, this might have been something that go, oh, this makes sense that he's doing this. Don't be a copycat guy or woman on this, by the way. You better be really sure the Lord's telling you to do this. 
Remember years ago at a youth camp, uh, there was a, a guy who was speaking, and he was talking about Smith Wigglesworth, and I don't know if you know much about Christian history, Smith Wigglesworth had some very strange practices that he did, and one of those things that he did was he felt the Lord had asked him to punch somebody in the gut um, during a service, and God used that to heal this individual. And that was the message that was given. And this evangelist who was speaking at a youth camp, uh, I had this kid who was, I was begging to come to youth camp. His name was Reuben. And I'm like, Reuben, you got to go to camp. Finally convinced him. And he was one of those kids, standoffish, very, very marginal in his faith, and goes walking up to the front. And I'm like, this is so great. God's going to get a hold of his life. And he's up there just kind of standing there. And the evangelist didn't think he was exuberant enough in his praise. And so what does the evangelist do? He takes the story of Smith Wigglesworth and puts it in a modern day thing and punches this kid in the gut. Now, as a youth pastor, looking at one of my kids, what do I do? I punch the van- no, I don't do that. No, um, <laughs> I, I walk up very quickly and pull Reuben out of that moment and talk to him a little bit later. Now, the crazy thing is. Strangely enough, God used that moment in Reuben's life. Once again, please do not copycat, <laughs> right? Uh, anyway, um, so imagine this moment. This guy born blind, spit mud clay on his eyes, and he takes off that mud on his eyes, and he sees for the very first time. He sees light comes flooding in. And my guess is his brain is trying to process all of this that's happening to him. He's trying to figure out what is he seeing. He's heard maybe descriptions. He's felt. He knows what things feel like. He knows what things sound like, but he does not know what things look like. And he's processing. His brain is exploding with all this new information that he's getting. The great historical lyricist, Will Smith, gets it right. Now, this is the story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. <laughs> His life turned upside down radically in this moment. The blind guy from birth can now see. The conversation he overheard with the disciples now true for him in a way that he had never believed before. Jesus is the light of the world. So the story continues. He, he is questioned by his neighbors, which is very funny. They're saying, this guy really, this isn't really the guy who was born blind. If you read the story, this is what's happening. There's this thing in front of the neighbors are saying, this isn't the guy. Others are saying, yes, it is the guy. They're trying to prove it and all that. And so the blind, the formerly blind guy, he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. How matter of fact is that? The religious leaders now are begin questioning him. They hear about this. By the way, this is happening on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath for us is we, you know, we want people to take time off during the Sabbath. That's the seventh day. We don't have within our culture a very robust theology of the Sabbath. In Jewish culture, the Sabbath, you did nothing on the Sabbath. And in fact, there's some evidence that you couldn't even, like if, if you got wounded all that you could do was the absolute bare minimum, otherwise it would be considered work, and that was not something you should do on the Sabbath. And so here's Jesus healing people willy-nilly on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders are upset. They call this guy in on the Sabbath, <laughs> kind of hypocritical, 
called the guy on the, on, the, on the Sabbath. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, referring to Jesus, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was division among them. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? Really strange. They're acknowledging the miracle. It's just a really strange moment. He is a prophet, the blind guy says now. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received a sight until they summoned his parents of the one who had received a sight. So now they go to the parents. Is this really your son? Really? <laughs> okay, I mean, it's just a, this crazy story in John chapter 9. No one had ever healed someone born blind. No one had ever done that. Their eyes were now blinded to the reality of what Jesus was up to. There's a darkness creeping in in the eyes and the hearts of the Pharisees. And before them was the man who was in darkness, probably still blinking from the brightness around him, whom the light had come to, and this blind guy had received. It's been a rough day for this guy. He's been questioned by his neighbors, questioned by the religious authorities, thrown out of the synagogue, that's thrown out of the church, excommunicated. He's basically been saying, you're not welcome here anymore because you were healed on the Sabbath by a guy that we don't think can do that. He had an encounter with Jesus and everything changes and the people around him didn't understand the change that had gone on in this guy's life. And I think there are some of you who've been in that moment where Jesus comes into your life and now all of a sudden, it seems like all of your social circles are changed. Seems like all of a sudden the family that was close to you now, they're questioning what's going on in your life. The, the things that made sense to you before, the way that your life was before, now all of a sudden it's changed. Jesus has flipped it all upside down and you're wondering, am I left alone to deal with this? I think some of you are facing that today. This man is worn out. Jesus is nowhere to be found throughout the day. It's as if he's left this guy to weather his own storm that Jesus created. And then verse 35. I love this. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, and when he found him, Jesus chases us. He chases us. If you've been tossed out, Jesus chases you. If you've been pushed out because of Jesus, Jesus chases you and he finds you. He wants to know your story. He wants to get close to you. In verse, he, goes, uh, he says this, do you believe in the Son of Man? The blind guy says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. His eyes now fully opened when he has this encounter with Christ in a way that he never thought he would have. When it seems that the darkness, a different kind this time for the blind guy is creeping in, that darkness of isolation, that darkness of excommunication and brokenness, when it seems that that's creeping in, 
Jesus shows up. And this man sees Jesus for the first time. He heard him before. Now he sees him. The one who healed him. The one who brought light into darkness, not only of his sight, but of his spiritual reality. And his response was to worship Jesus when he saw him fully. Once again, I think uh, we are in this boat many, many times in our own lives where, where we have this progressive understanding of who Jesus is. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up. There's this thread that's woven in the story, and it's very easy to miss. And this thread is, is how this man sees Jesus. How this blind man encounters Jesus is, is, um, is to me pretty amazing. At the very beginning, when his neighbors start questioning him, saying, are you really the guy? Are you really the one who was born blind? We just don't get it because now you can see and we don't understand it. The blind man refers to Jesus as this man. This man made mud. The man Jesus made mud, put it on my eyes and told me to go wash, and I washed, and I, now I can see. A little bit later on, he's confronted, you know, a little bit later on in the same day, he's confronted by the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who are also confused by all of this and saying, Jesus, this guy can't do this. He can't heal. He's obviously a sinner. The blind man goes, I don't, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but what I do know is that he healed me. He is a prophet. So he goes from just a man, he moves to now he's a prophet. At the very end, what did we just find out? Found out that his eyes were opened. Jesus says, here I am, the son, the son of man. And what does he call him? This blind man, this formerly blind man, calls him Lord. And he worships Jesus. There's a journey that we are all on. There are some of you who are here today who Jesus is, is just a man. He's just a, maybe even a great teacher. Somebody who has uh, maybe proven over time, obviously his, the, the system he's put in place of teaching great moral things, he is just a man to you. Others of you, he might be a step above that and he hears directly from God and so he's a prophet and for others still in this room, you've come to realize that he absolutely is Lord. And I see this progression maybe of that darkness being pushed back in this blind man's life where he knows something has happened dramatic in his life, but he doesn't fully understand it. And it takes that second encounter with Christ, that moment when he is fully aware now of who Jesus is, when that transformation is now complete. It's a tremendous thing about Jesus that the more we know about him, the greater he becomes. The trouble with human relationships is often the better we know people, the more we know their weakness and failings. But the more we know Jesus, the greater the wonder becomes, and that will be true not only in time, but also in eternity. The more we know about this man, who is also prophet, <laughs> who is also Son of God. The more we know about him, the more the wonder sets into our hearts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as we close out this morning. Where is the darkness in your life that has not been overcome? Where are the areas of blindness in your life that have not been overcome yet? Because remember, wherever the, wherever the light is, darkness is dispelled. Darkness cannot be around light. I think there are some of you who are in the middle of major decisions in your life. You're making those decisions in darkness, and God would say, bring those to light. Bring them to me and let me shed light on those tough decisions that you're facing right now. Maybe there's a relationship right now that is complete darkness in your life. And God says, you need to get rid of that relationship. Maybe there's a job that you have that just brings darkness to your soul. And you're saying, God, change my circumstance. Bring light to this. Maybe there's a known sin in your life that's bringing darkness to you. Here's what I believe. I believe God wants to bring freedom to you. I believe God wants to bring light to your darkness that you're walking through right now. I believe God, I, I believe that maybe there's a blindness maybe at times. And I believe God wants to bring light to you today to, to restore a new kind of spiritual sight for you. We're going to sing one of the songs we sang a little bit earlier. that God changes the atmosphere of our lives, right? He changes us. And while you're up here, those of you who are just saying, I need God to bring light to my life, as we begin singing this, Stephen, as we begin singing this, I just want you to lift up your hands to the Lord and just pray that prayer. Say, God, bring light to these circumstances. Bring light to my marriage. Bring light to my friendships. Bring light uh, to, my, to uh, what's going on in my work. Bring light to this inner part of my life that is so broken and so hurt at this time. And Stephen, if you would lead us. Lord. Let's worship the Lord together. I believe a miracle can happen and the Lord can bring light to, to us. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all sing together. For the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around. That the Spirit of the Lord is here. Sing a miracle. A miracle can happen now, for the Spirit of the Lord is here. Thank you, Lord. Father God, we lay at your feet this darkness that creeps in at times in our lives. God, there are some who are here today that need to experience the light of salvation. And so, God, this morning, we thank you for the light that you bring to our lives. When we are far away from you, while we were still sinners, you died for our sins. Lord, you came near to us when we were far away. And so, God, we give you our lives, every bit of us, Lord, every bit of us. God, for those who through sin have, have chosen darkness rather than light, Lord, I pray that that darkness would be dispelled. 
because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. And the Lord, you would begin to set free from that bondage to decay. Begin to set free, oh God, from that bondage, Lord, and those chains that are so easy to bind. God, for marriages where darkness has crept in, and God, there's a distance. Lord, I pray that you would begin uh, this morning, God, a new intimacy with marriages, God. Friendships that are broken, Lord. Um, God, uh, places of, of employment, Lord, where there is darkness, and Lord, you need to bring light, God. Let it be that today, God, a new season happens, a new season of light. God, we give you all the glory and all the praise this morning. Father, I thank you for the work that you are doing, and God, bring light to our darkness. And God, when it seems that that darkness is crushing in upon us, Lord, as we pray, God, as, as we seek your face, I ask, Lord, that you would bring your light because we know, oh God, that the darkness can never overcome you, Lord. We give you all the glory and the praise this day. Lord, thank you that you turn darkness into light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.